Can you open up to Matthew chapter 18? Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to grab... Go ahead and apologize in advance. If you guys were here last week, my, my voice started to fade at the very end of the service, uh, and it's been downhill ever since. Uh, not been able to, this, is the, this is the best I have sounded since last Sunday at about this time. Uh, so no doubt my voice will fade as we go here, but pray for me that we will, we will get through this. Uh, I can tell you now my notes are a little bit shorter than usual because I knew that it would be, it'd be pushing it. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to get to get through this. And we're going to be in Matthew 18, and we're going to be looking at, at Matthew's uh, brief account of a story that we actually talked about in the book of Luke a couple of uh, months ago. And we're in this series, Finding Rhythm. And the basis for this series is that God often calls us to two things that seem to be either complete opposite or things that can't be true at the same time, yet he calls us to them both. And that's the, the, the subtitle we have here, Pursuing the Paradox of Faithful Living. In order to be faithful, we need to do both of these things, even though they seem to be complete opposites. And so we've looked at the ideas of waiting and pursuing, feasting and fasting. Last week, we talked about contentment versus restlessness. And what we've seen is that when we pursue these things as the Bible portrays them, uh, we find is that the goal isn't to do them at the same time. You can't feast and fast at the same time. But instead, that pursuing one often leads us into the, the proper way to pursue the other, uh, that you go back and forth. If you'll remember, uh, it, is, it is our, our, uh, our trusty metronome here, which this was easier to work last week. This is what happens when you don't. There we go. So you've got to wind it up. Oh, you've got to pull this out. There we go. This was our trusty metronome from last week. One goes to the other. The idea is that life works in a rhythm like this, and one should pursue the other, push us to the other. And I just love this, because even this short time, I can look out here, and I can see those of you that are like, turn it off. Like, you do not like this thing at all. But this is how it's designed to work, is you get into a steady rhythm of life. And the problem comes when you get stuck in one, whenever you end up in one place and you can't seem to get to the other side. And so the hope is that in this series uh, and in our intentional time of prayer is that we get to a place where we move uh, from a place where we are stuck to a place where we are living life in rhythm. This morning, we're going to see the same thing at play, how one should push us to the other, that pursuing one of our topics this morning correctly will lead us right into uh, the other. Uh, before we get into our text, uh, I want to show you a family picture from about four years ago for, for, our, uh, for our family. So this is, uh, this is our family about four years ago, had a chance to, uh, to, to do, if you know our family, you know that we, we like the Disney stuff. Uh, it has been a big part of our family journey over, uh, over the years. And you also know that we can get a little ridiculous with costumes at times. Um, and this happens to be one of my favorite family costumes that we have done, primarily because I just get to wear a t-shirt. Like, I didn't have to wear something totally ridiculous. I just got to wear uh, this, this, uh, this t-shirt, and so uh, I like this costume uh, quite a bit. 
For those of you that have never seen the cartoon or are not up to date on your children's literature, we are characters from Peter Pan. Isaiah is, uh, Isaiah is Pan, Abby is Wendy, uh, Emily is Captain Hook, and I am the crocodile that haunts and hunts Captain Hook. That is the goal. And then we have the professional Peter Pan right there in the middle. And I show you this picture, and I'll explain why here in just a minute. But, but Peter Pan in, in the world of Disney is an, is an important figure in the, in the Disney history of cartoons. Now, depending on your age, whenever you think of Disney, you might think of like Little Mermaid and Lion King. You might think of Star Wars and Marvel. You might think of like Disney Junior. You might go back to older Disney stuff, and you might think like Swiss Family Robinson and Parent Trap. Just depending on your age, that might be what comes to mind when you hear Disney. But Peter Pan, right behind Mickey, serves as something of a defining character in the world of Disney and the way that Disney works. And part of that is because Peter Pan became the the character that would represent all that Disney is supposed to be. Walt Disney famously said that that's the real trouble with the world. Too many people grow up. Now, a cynic would say, well, yeah, you market to kids. If they grow up, that's bad for business. You don't want that. Uh, But I don't think that's exactly what he meant. But that quote uh, summarizes so much of what the world of Disney is about. In fact, the mug that I have my tea in here says, who says we have to grow up? Peter Pan became the primary person to promote this idea. If you know the story, then you probably know the Disney version of the story of who Peter Pan is. Peter Pan is a boy from Neverland that never grows up, and the idea of growing up is... In the end, both his greatest fear and his greatest enemy. The idea here is that the longer you can hold on to not being a grown-up, the happier you will be. And Disney works hard to convince you that that is true. Being grown-up is all the things that rob you of joy and fun. Being a kid is what you want to do. And if you can prolong that as long as possible, you will be happier for it. Disney, like almost every one of the stories that they tell, takes a very dark story in Peter Pan and turns it into a much more marketable and fun story. And you say, wait a minute, Peter Pan is a lot of things, but dark is not really what I think of. It's, it's all about, it's all, about all, all these like fun things about, about pixie dust and all this kind of stuff. It, Peter Pan is fun. We'll talk about that here in, in just a minute. Uh, but in this case, they, 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 they rebrand Peter Pan because he come, becomes the carrier of the Disney, uh, uh, the, the Disney brand. It's a, it's a place where you can find your inner kid again. And, and if you are a kid, then at Disney, you will be right at home. And they have branded that well. That is probably what you know Disney uh, for. And there are many people that are obsessed with all things Disney specifically for this very reason. They don't want to be an adult. They want to spend their life coloring and playing with Legos and doing all kinds of things of no consequence, and they want to do everything they can to, to, to push off this idea of being an adult. And for some of you, that mindset is everything that's wrong with this world, especially this country. This idea that you don't want to grow up, you don't want to have responsibility, and that mindset, the Disneyfication of our culture, is exactly what is wrong. My question is, is Peter Pan and Walt Disney, are they on to something? 
Are they on to something that is actually good and helpful for us? Is adulthood just a sociological evil that robs us of all that is good in our lives and a destroyer of fun? Let me ask you this question. Do you think Jesus would agree with Walt Disney and with Peter Pan? Do you think Jesus would agree that the real trouble with the world is that too many people want to grow up? And before you completely dismiss that idea, especially those of you that have decided that is all that is wrong with this world, before you completely dismiss that idea out of hand, let's just hear from Jesus. And as I read, ask yourself, if I had never heard this verse before, if I had never heard this quote before, would I bet this is Walt Disney talking or this is Jesus talking? All right? Matthew 18, starting in verse 2. He called a small child and he had him stand among them. Truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. Maybe the kingdom of heaven part gives it away. And you can say what you want about Peter Pan and Walt Disney, and there's all kinds of things we can debate there. You can roll your, roll your eyes at, at Disney adults, and you can lament the immaturity of, uh, of, 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 of today's youth and, and of, of 20 and 30 and 40-somethings that are out there. You can do all of those things. But I'm just going to be completely honest with you. In this text, Jesus is talking but it easily sounds like this could be a quote from Walt Disney. It very much sounds exactly like the same kind of ethos of what Disney said, the real trouble with the world is that too many people are grown up. Can't you hear Jesus saying that in light of this quote from Matthew 18? Can't you hear Jesus saying those same words? I know that sounds a little bit like heresy to say that the words of Walt Disney could be the words of Jesus, uh, it probably is, but hang with me, and, and we'll, we'll talk about this here in just a second, about what this looks like. It seems to me that Walt Disney and Jesus might be on the same wavelength. I think, again, I realize some of you, that is like, I can't believe you would say that, that is blasphemy, but I'm honestly just quoting the two, and then comparing the two, and they sound an awful lot alike to me. But then you've got this other guy in the Bible And he has some things to say that confuses us just a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. This is Paul writing. He says, Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. Colossians chapter 1, 28 and 29. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone not as a child in Christ, but mature in Christ. And I labor for this, striving with his strength that is powerfully in me. Paul labors to present them not as children, but as mature in Christ. And then go, go uh, back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter... Chapter 3, Paul says this, For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to, uh, to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in 
Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready. This is a rebuke from Paul to the church at Corinth. Because you are, you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife. And he goes on to talk more and more about that. By Peter Pan's definition, Paul is a total killjoy. Paul is no fun at all. I feel like Paul is the guy, like he's running around Disney World and shaming everyone for eating their Mickey ice cream bars and, 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 and embarrassing everyone for watching like Disney Junior at home. Like what is your problem? Paul sounds like everything that Peter Pan would hate. Maybe, maybe Paul's Captain Hook. I don't know. But this is exactly how it seems here is that you have two very differing ideas. One, Jesus sounds very much like Peter Pan and Walt Disney. And then you have Paul who sounds like very much the antithesis of that. And so which one is it? Which one is, is, is how we are supposed to live? Why is Paul so anxious for everyone to grow up? Why is he calling the church in Corinth a bunch of worldly babies? It feels so grown up. And yet Jesus seems to say that the real trouble with the world is that too many people grow up. Or if that feels icky, Jesus certainly says that unless you are like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So how does this work? Did, did, did Paul just not hear that part of Jesus' teaching? I mean, Paul wasn't walking with Jesus, so did, did that part of Jesus' teaching, like, did it just not, did it just not make it to, to Paul? Like, is this something that, that if Peter were to have read this rebuke in the, the letter to the Corinthians, that, that, that Peter would have been like, hey, Paul, we, we need to go to lunch, and I need to tell you, I think there's some things that Jesus talked about that you should probably know. Uh, I think you're probably ignorant to these things, so let me just educate you and, and say, I understand why you would rebuke the Corinthians the way that you did, telling them to grow up, but actually, this is what Jesus said. Is that what it is needed? Like, like Paul's just got it wrong and he just needs to know more of what Jesus taught? We are being dishonest with ourselves if we pretend that the, these two ideas don't seem to push against each other. We're being dishonest with ourselves if, if, if we pretend that these two things seem to work against one another, kind of push us in differing directions. How do we follow Paul's teachings and Jesus' teachings at the same time? The answer is, I think, probably found, honestly, if we keep digging into the story of Peter Pan. I'll get to that in just a few minutes. I promise you we're talking about the Bible, not the story of Peter Pan. But just we're going to let Peter Pan just kind of be the example for us that illustrates the point that is being made by both Paul and Jesus. <clears throat> Before we get there, hang on just a second. I, why, why do we have to grow up, Cup? Um, so before we get there, let's consider the, the story of Luke 9, Matthew 18, Mark 10. Let's consider what is going on here in this context. And once we establish that, I think it will kind of give us a pathway uh, forward. In all three of those 
passages, we have the same story that's told. Jesus saying the same thing. It's very rare that you find Jesus is teaching uh, in, in so many of the different gospels. And even when you do find the same teaching in so many different gospels, it's very rare that that teaching is given in the same context. Jesus would often teach the same message in different ways to different people. But this one story is given the same context every single time. They all come back to the fact that there are disciples arguing over who will be the greatest in the kingdom. I mean, second to Jesus, of course. But when Jesus, the Messiah, establishes his political military kingdom in this world, when Jesus establishes that, sets it up, he's going to need a right-hand man. He's going to need a guy right beside him. He's going to need a guy to help run things. He's going to need a vice president. He's going to need uh, 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 somebody that's like the, the chief of the military staff. He's going to need some people like that. Who's going to be the greatest? And they're arguing amongst themselves, the, the 12 disciples, they're arguing amongst themselves, who is the greatest? Who's going to be the best? It's not a good look for the disciples. It's not a good look at, at all. But that's the context for all of this. And so when Jesus takes his seat of power, who's going to be second in charge? They were trying to find a higher place in the kingdom. They wanted power. They wanted recognition. They wanted control. They wanted fame. They wanted victory. They wanted to be something. This is what they all were looking for, what they all wanted. Now, even as they argue and debate amongst themselves, evidently there are children playing all around them. Perhaps this is even the disciples' children themselves. We, we don't really know where these kids came from, but there's kids that are playing around them and arguing, and <clears throat> they're basically being completely ignored because that's what children were in this society. Children were just there until they were old enough to do something of value. They weren't seen as valuable. They weren't seen as, as, as like the, 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 the thing that the whole family needs to cater to. They were just there. They needed to be fed. They needed to be put to bed. And they needed to grow up. That's what needed to happen. Because they needed to, to, to work. They needed to contribute. They needed to show that they had value. They needed something. They were the exact opposite of everything the disciples were arguing about. The exact opposite. They all wanted power, status. They all wanted to be in control. The kids were exactly the opposite of that. Powerless, not seeking it because they knew they would never get it. And it never crossed their minds to pursue it. And Jesus looks at these kids and he says, or he looks at the disciples and he says, you think you need power to be something in my kingdom. But what you need to understand is to be something in my kingdom is to be nothing in this world. And these kids embody that far better than you arrogant disciples, you foolish disciples ever could. These powerless, unknown, unseen children, they will come into the kingdom long before you ever will because they don't seek any of those things that you seek. The idea here is, the not, is not that we aren't supposed to grow up. The idea here is that we aren't supposed to think, seek the things that this grown-up world seems completely enamored with. 
We aren't supposed to be beholden to the same things that the grown-ups around us seem to be completely enamored with. We are to put ourselves in positions that are unknown, unvalued, often forgotten, and be perfectly content in those places because in those places you will find the true kingdom of God. Not this mythical, political, military reign of the Messiah. You will actually find the true kingdom of God when you lay all of that down. And then he doubles down and he says, and you better make sure that you seek out all those that act like these kids and welcome them in because we are not here to hoard power. We are here to welcome the powerless. This is the essence of what we call childlike faith. So often people talk about childlike faith and how we're called to have a childlike faith. Exactly is what Jesus talks about here in Matthew 18. So often people talk about childlike faith as if it means that we are like children, not smart enough to ask deep questions of God and we just need to blindly accept things, right? You heard that before? You heard it used in that context? Like, No, it's hard to understand these difficult things about suffering. It's hard to understand exactly how salvation works. It's hard to understand all of these doctrine things in the Bible, but that's okay. We're just called to have childlike faith. And what they mean by that is we're called to be ignorant, not know things, and not question things. That is not what the Bible has in mind at all when it talks about childlike faith. More so to that, is that doesn't match up with experience for, for being childlike at all. If you've spent any time with a child, you know that accepting and not having questions is the least childlike thing you can think of, right? Every child has questions. They want to know things. I remember when Abby was like two years old, she went through a six-month period. I don't think she said anything besides, what's that? What's that? What's that? Like, Everything she looked at, she wanted to know what it was. Tell me about it. I want to learn. I want to know more things. This is how kids work. They are naturally curious. They want to know more. They ask questions. You do a Bible study with a six-year-old, you're going to get deeper theological questions than you are in a seminary class because they want to know. And so for us to say childlike faith means that you don't need to know things, That's nothing childlike about that at all. Being childlike doesn't mean you don't ask questions. It means you feel free to ask questions. It means you pursue, you be a curious person. You ask questions, you pursue curiosity. You growing in knowledge may be the essence of being a child. And so that is what we are called to do. That might be the most childlike thing I can think of, to ask a question and to grow in knowledge. But pursuing power, wealth, fame, position, authority, that is not childlike at all. That is something the world teaches us to value, but they are not values of God's kingdom. So when Jesus tells us to have childlike faith, he is talking about being okay, being forgotten to this world. 
He is talking about being overlooked by society. He's talking about being powerless in this world. And if, and this is a big if, just honestly, we can draw more conclusions than that. He's talking about pursuing life with curiosity that is not driven by worldly agendas, but by God-given desire to learn and know more about who he is. In that context, I think that's what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. Be infants in regard to evil. Act like you never learned about this stuff. Act like you didn't know it was there. But in regards to how you think, think like a mature man that is able to discern truth from a lie, evil from goodness, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Be mature enough to separate the two out. The translation here is interesting. I don't know exactly what your translation says, but here in the, uh, in the, the CSB, it says, don't be childish in your thinking. It doesn't say don't be childlike in your thinking. It says don't be childish in your thinking. And I think that is a a good way for us to kind of encapsulate this teaching here. We are called to be childlike, not childish. To be childlike is to maintain the disposition of a child, full of wonder and awe and curiosity and trust and free of the pursuit of the things of this world that the things that this world tells us are, are so important. We're free of those things. That is to be childlike. To be childish is to be like Peter Pan. He desires to be stuck in childhood. He desires to avoid responsibility. He desires to live in a world which he is the center and he has no desire to mature in his relationships or in his responsibilities. And this is the true story of Peter Pan. The one that Disney took to become their brand ambassador was actually written in 1904. Disney spun this idea of never growing up to be kind of their ethos as a company. But the story written in 1904 starts with all the good things about being a boy. But by the end of the book, Pan is no longer a person to be emulated, no longer a a philosophy of life to be copied. He is the definition of a tragic hero. He is no longer the enlightened one that understands the horrors of growing old. Instead, he is this tragic figure. He manipulates people for personal gain. He hurts people when he doesn't get what he wants. He destroys relationships because he doesn't know how to be a good friend. He's too childish to know these things. He is a killer with no remorse for his actions and no morals to speak of. And ultimately, his desire to avoid growing up doesn't bring him joy, but sadness as he lives out his life alone. He is what Paul would call a worldly baby. The tale of these two Peter Pans, I think, teaches us much about what this world thinks about growing up and being a kid and how it gets some things right and some things very wrong. So it is with the church. Too often as a church in the U.S., we want people to be infants in their thinking. Because if they are infants in their thinking, if they are childish, 
We can control them. We can scare them. We can manipulate them. Paul says, don't be like that. Be mature. Be discerning. Eat your spiritual Wheaties and move beyond this childish behavior. Grow up, people. This is what Paul says. The flip side of that is that too often as a church, we can embrace all the wrong things of growing up. And we never actually mature. And instead, we find ourselves, and this is, to me, never more obvious than during an election season, chasing after all the things that Jesus says don't matter at all. Power, recognition, influence, victory. To that, Jesus says, be childlike as you follow me and you'll find the kingdom you are looking for. Be childish and you'll be beholden to another kingdom altogether. Be childish and you will find everything. You will seek everything in this world and you will find nothing. Be childlike and you will seek nothing in this world and you will find everything. That is the story that Jesus and Paul are telling us. And this is the paradox of the Christian faith. If we want to pursue spiritual maturity, we must embrace childlike faith. Indeed, spiritual maturity, I would argue, is impossible without faith like a child. And this is the nature of Christianity. A paradox, but one that works in perfect rhythm. The more childlike you become, the more mature you become. The more mature you become, the more childlike you become. And that's how it's designed to work. In rhythm. Back and forth. As we close here, and my voice is is fading, but as we close here, I want to make one very important point. When Jesus talks about being childlike, he's not calling us to simply be childlike. He's calling us to a childlike faith. So he's not simply saying, go and be this way. He's calling us to embrace a faith, a way of life, a faith in Jesus that allows us to live in that way. To have a faith. At the heart of Jesus' teaching is not primarily a code of ethics or a, 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 a list of behaviors. But it is about faith in him. Not faith in him as the, the, the ruler who you ride his coattails into power. But faith in him that says, I trust you and I will do whatever, live however, accept any of the things that I need to accept, including the fact that I know that I am not enough, I will do any of those things if that is what is necessary that I get to be in your kingdom. That's what it means to have childlike faith. And that is what we have been called to. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning to understand the difference between being childlike and childish. Help us to embrace the values of the kingdom of heaven. Help us to be those that that seek to serve first, not to be served. That seek to love, not primarily to to use others to to receive love. That, That seek to give ourselves up in order to pursue you. 
Help us to value the things that are valued in the kingdom of heaven and help us to turn our backs and turn our hearts away from the things that are only valued in this world. Father, may we embrace an attitude, a disposition of a childlike faith and may we welcome others who do the same. Father, help us not to seek after the idols of the world to humbly bow before you as you open your arms and welcome us in. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.